When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Podcast, an esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, the esports and gaming writer for Reach PLC, and also Marcus Banks from the Manchester Evening News. Hi, how you doing, Marcus? I'm very well, and you? Good, yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, been playing football manager as usual. Um, do, you, do you play it a lot? I play, I think this is my most played year, but uh, recently I've been playing on a lot of throwback databases using the 070. 0607 database uh, to, yeah. to yeah. get that nostalgic feel of of the the old games that maybe was a bit too young at the time to fully enjoy and understand really yeah i've been kind of getting stuck into like a dynasty save uh with valencia one of my favorite teams um they're one of the teams that i used to manage years ago on the old football manager games and uh, i always make sure i do a save with them at some point um just to kind of see where I can go with them, really. Win the league, if I can, against the might of Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico as well. And, uh, yeah, see how far I can go in the Champions League, really. Yeah, definitely. Speaking about Football Manager, we actually got we got part two of our uh, episode with Sports Interactive's PR manager, Tom Davidson, which you can uh, enjoy right now. So uh, we hope you enjoy. I know Miles always speaks about uh, the teamwork and like games ahead. If you're like talking about like working on features for FM 2022 and 2020, is there any features that are going to be affected by the current situation or are they still very, very much still in, in the works? Uh, everything is still in the works. I mean, obviously the rule groups features are the ones that are most dependent on, on the real world. So certain things in terms of, I mean, it's not so much a feature, but things like start dates and uh, transfer windows and that kind of thing, they will have to, might have to be adjusted depending on um, depending on what happens in, in the real world. But yeah, we've got, I mean, even before this cycle, even before FM20, we, we had two to three years worth of, of features already, you know, in the database, just waiting to be assigned a particular year or a particular version of the game. So we've added, you know, hundreds and hundreds of features to that as well. So in terms of the overall feature set, there's plenty to choose from, plenty to be getting on with. A lot of them are, are long-term projects as well. Obviously, a lot of them will involve updating different technology that we use, the different tools that the developers use to build the game each year. So plenty of plenty of stuff in there. And I think I'm not worried about the, uh, the feature set for the next couple of years, put it that way. Plenty to do then. We know a lot of footballers play Football Manager. Do footballers ever complain about their ratings and want them changed? All the time. All the time. Usually... Name names. 
Name names. <laughs> <laughs> there was one of my favourites was uh, there was there was I won't name names, but he was a Premier League player at the time, and he actually left a voicemail on like our general office number, <laughs> and he was it was just like this tirade. It, it, it was sort of like. I wouldn't say Tyree, but it was it was just like this very impassioned speech about how his dribbling and his pace were better than what we'd given him. And we were just sort of there like, is this was that a prank call or is this an actual an actual thing? And a lot of the time we'll um we'll get players to sort of face off against each other. So if they if they say, Oh, I'm quicker than so and so, then we'll say, Okay, we'll have a race in training, film it, say have a hundred meter race film it, send it to us. And, and if you are quick, we'll, we'll adjust things. And nine times out of 10, we, we won't hear from them again because they'll have obviously <laughs> been beaten in the race. But um, I think the one player that we've ever apologised to, or certainly Miles has apologised to about getting it slightly wrong, was um, was Harry Kane. Because when when he had his first season, like breakthrough season at Spurs, where he really took it to another level, um, we were like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll adjust him, adjust him slightly. And I don't, it took us a couple of years to catch up to where, where he's got to in terms of his goal scoring ability. Because if you look at when we were, when our researchers were looking at him, when he was alone at Norwich, at Orient, at Leicester, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't quite, you know, the player that, that he's turned into. And so, we sort of had him rated as sort of, you know, potentially getting some minutes off the bench for Spurs or uh, becoming a decent championship player, but never being the main man and and, and uh, leading the line for England as well. So uh, Miles met him at a awards do, I think, and just went up to him and said, oh, I'm really sorry. We we underestimated you for a, <laughs> for a little while. So um, so he's the only one I know that we've ever, we've ever actually apologised to. So uh, I'm glad to say we've, we've got him pretty much spot on for uh, FM20. Yeah. With the data updates and like obviously players like you say Kane I don't think any, I don't think I don't think anyone really would have predicted Kane to the way he did but with the, with younger players being given like a chance I just think of like Brandon Williams for United this season and players like that is it a set of, is it a certain criteria they have to meet before the upgrade um, or like updated in the in usually the February data update where they might be given a, a potential boost or an attribute boost or is it just um, whatever the researchers decide. It's a little bit of both. It's mainly, I mean, most of it is down to the to the researchers' opinion. We do have like checks and balances in there to make sure mm-hmm. that things are weighted properly. But young players are still, you know, the hardest thing to get right. A player's mental attributes and young players are the two, the two things that I think all researchers will say are, are the hardest to to nail but we have we've had a lot of experience that you know predicting how good a young player is going to be we've had a lot of success as well so i think again the the criteria in terms of what's given to researchers when they start looking at players is already there so they know what to expect of course you can compare them to the other players in, in the squad as well so if you're looking at if you go and watch an under twenty three game, for example, and there's a first team player who's dropped down for that for that game, you can look at the how they compare to that player. So you've got a rough understanding of, of what their level's like. And obviously if they have a particularly, you know, noteworthy season at, at youth level, then they'll 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 likely get a an attribute boost as well. And so yeah, each each of the individual club researchers will will have an opinion and then obviously it goes up the chain as well. So whoever is responsible for, you know, if if it's if it's a Premier League, then it'll be we have a head of Premier League research, or if it's England as a whole, we'll have a head of English research. So they'll take a look. It's their job to look at all the data, check for any inconsistencies or 
you know, have a look at people who who maybe have slipped under a radar, see if they've got a boost. And the people who head up the, the research team are walking encyclopedias of football. It's it's quite daunting when you get into a conversation with them about, you know, uh, potential stars of the future or uh, certainly with the EFL guys, it, it's sort of, you sort of, you'll sit there talking about, um, so I'm a Forest fan, so I'll often be, you know, talking about uh, young players that we put into the first team and they'll go, oh yeah, but there's someone who's just come into the academy who's way better than them. And so they'll be the one you're talking about in two or three years time. So yeah, it has, uh, it, they, they definitely earn their soul and, you know, eventually the, at the end of the day, the, the researchers will, we were the ones with the most say in, in, in the players' ratings and, and uh, as we said, evaluating all year round and the key beats, as, as, as you mentioned, are, are the data updates in, in, in January um, when, we, when we do the transfer window activity as well. It gives us enough time to look at the first half of the season and properly assess a player because what we don't want to do is have a situation where we're looking at a player who's had two or three weeks of decent action um, and then giving them a massive boost because you yeah. know, we take the long-term view. And so it, it gives us a nice opportunity to properly evaluate a player. Yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, when I um, first started as a researcher, it was difficult to uh, initially change from being a fan to being a researcher and to be impartial. And you have to learn through constant communication with the people higher up than you what what you can and can't change. So, for example, I remember watching Solomon Rondon in a preseason friendly for West Brom. He scored a, a free kick, a brilliant free kick. And I said to the um, the, the guy that was uh, above me, maybe we should put Rondon's free kick attribute up a bit. And then he said, well, let's just go back and see how many free kicks he's actually scored in his career first because that just might be a fluke. And then, lo and behold, he, I mean, he does take some free kicks, but his, his conversion rate wasn't the best. So it's just... It's through kind of constant communication, through you can say your opinion, but they'll challenge you back and say, well, actually, I don't think that that's this. And then you'll kind of come to an agreement between you whether, you know, what's the best way of going ahead. And sometimes you'll say, okay, I think this, but I'm going to wait another month or so, watch him more detailed to see if there's kind of that change over the next few weeks. So I know firsthand the effort that goes into it and the conversations that are had because the guys, like you said, the head of the Football League and also the Premier League, they want to make the best and most accurate football manager game every single year. So I know just how much work it goes into into making it that. Yeah, and, and I've, I've got a question for you actually, Nick. I've always uh, wondered this myself, like how... Did you deal with when, you know, West Brom signed a player mm. and you sort of get given that player's data sheet? How would you go about making changes to that based on based on his performance at, at West Brom? I used to initially, say, for example, if a, a summer transfer arrived, I would initially leave them because I'd like to trust the other researchers has done enough research into that player, um, if it was a major league anyway. And I would always make sure to watch them very specifically before making any changes or making too many rash changes because I think you've got to trust the work that the other researchers done initially before you make massive changes because it can get quite dangerous if they start scoring loads of goals in the first few games, then you put their finishing and composure up and then they go without a goal for three months. You've got to look over it 
over a long period of time to assess them properly, I think. So yeah. I would always kind of trust the previous research for a bit and then kind of develop it over a longer term period because I think big changes in a short amount of time doesn't make for the most accurate database. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's something that we've seen when we've been having conversations with clubs as well, when, when they come approach us for, for our data is, is that they often want to, they're looking at players over the course of, you know, two a month, maybe two months max uh, heading into a transfer window. And then they've got to make a decision on whether to sign them or not. And so they want to know very top line information or very specific information about one element of their game. And we sort of take, as you said, like a, a much longer term view. So, you know, the person who has been Barcelona researcher has watched pretty much every single game that Lionel Messi has played. And so he's Lucky got... A, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you, he will have possibly the most complete picture of Lionel Messi's game and his strengths and weaknesses that anyone has in the world. Because, you know, he's not, Messi hasn't worked under the same manager for all that time. Most season ticket holders won't travel away, for example. Um, they won't necessarily have seen him in training where, you know, our researchers often get get access to, to training and certainly, you know, reserve and youth matches, pre-season friendlies, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we do take a very, very long-term look at a player. And, and that's why any changes tend to be very, very incremental, something that we get a lot is when players who are having, I can remember um, a few years ago when Salah was absolutely smashing it in the Premier League and people would say, oh, you haven't given him enough of a boost. He's been absolutely sensational. It's like, well, you know, he came in, he's only just, it's his first season in England. He's obviously having a great season, but we can't just up him to be, you know, the, the, the inside the top five best players in the world um, off the back of, four or five months work and you know he has continued to be at that level and you've seen his his uh his stats in the game have, have risen a lot but they're, they're they're still not at the level that i think a lot of people were asking us to put him to you know put him in the company of you know messi neymar ronaldo etc so um so we do take a very very long-term and, and methodical approach to this stuff oh that barcelona researcher i would have loved to have been there when he suggested that I think we should give Messi 20 dribbling, 20 finishing, 20 passing, 20 vision. <laughs> uh, I remember when I used to, you know, want to put an attribute at one, we had a serious conversation about, you know, <laughs> let's, let's really think about it. You know, put, let's put his passing up from 30. I think there was the, the one player I remember was Claudio Jacob when I was the researcher he used to be signed by Arsenal every single season. And I, I took I took a view on it because I think he had like 15 passing or something, and which right. was the same as William Cavallio, who <laughs> at the time was like one of the biggest prospects out there. And we took the view, okay, we need to drop it a bit because in-game it's not realistic. But um, I mean, we had, that was a serious discussion that happened over a few months back and forth to change a passing one or two down. I mean, for that... For that Barcelona researcher to say, let's let's give Lionel Messi twenty and twenty, when he was, I mean, he's got to have been the best player ever to be on Football Manager, surely. Yeah, I mean, you see, you talked about uh, having like conversations around one or two numbers. I think the ultimate tool in the in the research team's arsenal is to actually go and take a look at the players themselves, so the in-house team. If there's one player, so say, for example, you know, I can imagine it happening with Messi where this guy's entered this, you know, 
as you say, like five twenties, a load of freak stats. And when it must've came across to the research team, it must've thought this guy- Red is, flags everywhere. Is having us <laughs> on, yeah, exactly. Cause it, I mean, there, we, there have been in the past, researchers used to try and get away, I think this was back in the, in the championship manager days, used to try and get away with adding themselves in and then having like all twenties and then it would immediately get flagged up. <laughs> what, as a youth player? Yeah. Youth player. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so they've, that, that is long gone, but they do have checks and balances to stop people just putting loads of 20s in. So I reckon that must have, you know, come straight up as a, as a red flag. And yeah, it must have been a lot of conversation about that. Because the thing is, as you, you talked about putting your trust in in the researchers, I think even now, internally, we, we still put our trust in them from the very top level. So they're the ones who are doing the legwork, they're watching the players, they're assessing them on a daily basis. And you know, it, it, it takes a lot to sort of overturn that when you've when you've given them not only the job to 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 take up take on the research, but then they've spent months watching this team, watching this player, and and assessing them and and translating their performances on the pitch into FM data. It's a uh, it's a hell of a job, and and yeah, I think I think the 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 people who do it definitely definitely um are you know unsung heroes of the game. I'm going to take that as a compliment, thanks, Tom. But anyone that <laughs> anyone that's uh, managed West Brom for the last kind of few years, I haven't done the research for a few years. But anyone that has, I apologise in advance. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, you mentioned um, earlier that teams approach you for players. How often does that happen? More and more in uh, in recent years. So I, I think I don't know if many people remember, but I think it was back in 2008 or 2009. Everton signed a deal with Sports Interactive yeah, to I use remember. the database. Because yeah. yeah. wasn't there a so, thing about David Moyes' son uh, <laughs> wanted him to sign Messi? No, that was, uh, was Alex McLeish. Oh, Alex McLeish. Alex McLeish. Yeah. He, his son. Yeah, he, he. I think it was when McLeish was at Rangers and his son discovered Messi and Iniesta in his Barca say. That was it, yeah. And, Roy, and I, he was, didn't Roy Card say something like, oh, sorry, I'm thinking of giving him a chance this season? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he, uh, I think it, in the, it must have happened, I think it happened in pre-season, like when the transfer window was still open and McLeish was like, yeah, whatever, forget it. And then I think right at the end of a window, his one of his scouts had been watching whatever uh, team Messi was in at the time and, and said, this guy is going to be sensational. He's got like fantastic touch, can can dribble uh, around any defender, and then they started to take it seriously. But by that point, as you said, like yeah, Rijkaard had already seen him with his own eyes and said, "We'll put him in the first team." Thank you very much. But it, imagine Messi in Scotland; it would have been oh, incredible. I remember there was the one Camper Trophy. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's like a pre-season friendly that Barcelona have every year, and I think it was against Bayern Munich or someone like that. And I think Rijkaard gave Messi his debut, senior debut, in that game. And I think he ran round all the defenders and they were chopping him down or whatever. I think that was the game that made him kind of see Messi as this amazing talent. But imagine if he hadn't appeared in that game and he did actually <laughs> sign for Rangers, how different his career or the the whole of football would have been different, surely. It would have been it would have been mad, wouldn't it? If he if he if he made his debut in a Scottish Cup yeah. game, for example, it would have been a different story. Yeah.
So, Football Manager, if you look at it, you said it's got nearly a million players on the database, 800,000, I think. Surely, you get. I know you get loads of these kind of um, stats programs that clubs use to evaluate players and stuff, but surely Football Manager's up there with one of the most uh, accurate scouting databases in the world, surely, at this point? It's definitely the biggest, and we definitely say it's, it's um, one of the most accurate because the level of data we collect, I think, goes beyond what other um, scouting and, and football databases have. A lot of them will just look at a player's ability and they'll say, OK, you know, oh, he's got a fantastic first touch. Oh, he would cut inside or mm. he'll uh, like to shoot with his right foot. We've got all that in the game as well. But we also track things like players' biography, personality. So you can, you, if a researcher would be looking to assess how professional a player is, we try and get even down to information about how they would fit into a dressing room, who their friends are within the game and what managers they like, their injury history as well, which is a big one. And there's, there's other things in there as well, just even even simple things like the, player, the player's weight. So each player has an assigned weight in the game, which is which is worked out by our researchers some of them some of them are slightly more accurate than others depending on who the researcher is but generally they're the most accurate you can get so there's there's different areas and and data fields like that 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 the game has and over the years i mean you talked about Lewandowski and and uh how he you found him at, at, at uh poznan and yeah you know, there's there's Tons of stories like that. I can remember getting Eden Hazard recommended to me when he was, I think he was must have been like 17 at Lille and thinking, who's this guy? But he's, he's one of the first players I ever saw with like a five-star potential report card. So I was thinking, okay, I've got to sign it. And then obviously he came through. You've got um, Haaland in, in yeah. recent years. Again, like two or three years ago, I can remember seeing this Erling Brown Haaland and thinking that is a made-up name. It must be a new gen. And it turned out he's yeah. now one of the best strikers in the world. Mbappe as well so there's a rich pedigree there of like predicting player progression and performance which again a lot of a lot of services don't offer yeah and there's hidden attributes as well in there which a lot of people might not know about so there's ambition controversy uh, professionalism loyalty there's all those out of 20 as well consistency they can have a massive impact on a player's personality so if they have really low loyalty and really high ambition and you get an offer from man united for example and you're a lower team they're going to kick off straight away but another Absolutely. player if it's the other way around really loyal and not very ambitious they might not react the same way. So it's one of those things which not many people know. Yeah, exactly. And I, and as we say with the game, we always want to make each player feel like a 3D representation of themselves. We want them to have personalities. We want them to behave as they would behave. That's why we ask the researchers to look at even little things. So if they're on the bench, are they enthusiastic to get warmed up and, and you know, to try and get themselves into the game or are they just happy to sit there on their hands and, and, and just collect the paycheck and go home. Um, so there's, there's there's things like that. Do they listen to the manager when he's instructing them from the sideline or, or do they look like they're just blanking him out? So those sort of attributes come into play as well. And, you know, I think we've all seen it in real life where our clubs have signed someone who has got bags of ability, one of like some of the most talented players uh, that have come through in, in recent years uh, or previous years, sorry, at Forest have had bags of ability. But then they don't quite have the right personality to fit into the dress room or, or they don't have a personality that suits mm. the manager. And I think 
over certainly over the last 10 years and even more so over the last five in particular the level of detail that scouting teams are going into in real life to look at players they're not just looking now at how they get on the pitch they're taking into account a huge amount of of information that they weren't taking into account before things like how how would a player fit in with the rest of the squad you know how would he fit into my style of play and those sort of things are becoming almost as important of how good is he so uh, things like that we've seen other data companies have like a real success in 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 working with clubs and I think we're we're now you know definitely a part of that and uh, and I, I can remember over the period between Christmas and the start of the transfer window we were we were contacted by a few clubs and then we had I think five or six clubs uh, representatives came into the office to talk to the data team about you know how how they use stuff what the database looks like what they'd be able to get their hands on that kind of thing so. It is an important part of football now, and it's only natural, I think, with a database that's as extensive as FMs, that, that it's going to become more and more of a, uh, a factor in the business in, in years to come. Yeah, and I think, like you said, with the potential and maybe not fulfilling it, West Brom have had Saido Berahino and Oliver Burke in recent years, who both... <laughs> Oliver Burke. Yeah, um, yeah, Nottingham Forest, obviously... Um, Again, that's something that a lot of FM players see and say, oh, he had five-star potential, but he's not reached it. But that happens all the time in football. You get these generational players. Like I remember back in the day signing Nico Cranchar and he was like the best player in the world or uh, Gareth Bale he did become the best player one of the best players in the world so <laughs> Freddie Adu and the boys yeah Freddie Adu Jemba Jemba or you know Cleberson and uh, what was the guy from Brazil that Barcelona signed that he could balance the ball on his head and oh Curlon Curlon yeah. yeah I remember yeah, he had five star um, potential <laughs> on Football Manager so what would you say is the ones that have had the most potential on the game over the overall, but have not really reached the the maximum that the game suggests that they could? A lot in the earlier days when we didn't necessarily have the experience of, of assessing the mental side of the game, because you know, you talk about Freddie Adu and Curlon and players like that, they obviously had tremendous technical skill. But when you're that age, under 18 and, and you're getting told that you're going to be the next big thing it's very easy just to switch off and and you know just not really bother with training anymore don't really work on the nitty-gritty stuff that turns a player from being very very good into great and at that age every single training session should count it should be like a stepping stone to getting to where you want to be and i think a lot of players are more aware of that now but certainly Certainly back in the day, yeah, people like, and Cherno Samba is another one who, um, and he he said that he just wasn't cut out mentally for, for a professional game. But again, highly rated in championship manager back in the day. I think in, in recent years, as I said, we've got a bit better at definitely identifying the players early. So players like Mbappe and Haaland who have gone on to do great things. But there's still, I mean, even if they're not players who are, you know, we, we would say minus 10, which is the ultimate the dream, uh, rating, the dream, the dream yeah. that a wonder kid could get. Um, but even if they're not minus ten level, they they might be a couple of levels below that. But they're really, really high, highly rated for the level that they're at, and they just don't make it. You see, I mean, there's there's thousands of players who just fall off at the end of the season and and get released by the clubs and never really 
come back into into football but they have bags of talent and so it's always difficult to to try and to try and identify the ones who who are going to make it i think it's got a lot easier now because things like agents are much more aware of the players that are really catching the eye making headlines so if you suddenly see a, a young player sign up with a really powerful agent for example then it's a fair bet that he's got a decent chance of making it so there's things like that which we can we can rely upon i think that just through experience of watching years and years of football at all levels i think we've got a good idea of of what makes a a good player now certainly in the in the early days of football manager and back in the championship manager days it was it was a lot a lot harder to identify them and and the ones that always come up, as I said, Cherno Samba, Freddie Adu, Tonton Zonamukoku as well. Um, wow, that's a he, name. He yeah, he was. I mean, he was Championship Manager oh one oh two was uh, was his year, and he again he just lacked the mental side of the game to go and make it at the level that he could have done if he you know he obviously had bags of ability. He was playing for Derby weirdly, which seems a bit of a random club to have a have a superstar sprout at, but yeah. he was he was absolutely smashing it at a youth level, but. I think they wanted him to focus on his education alongside his football and he just wanted to kick a ball around. And so um, when it came to putting him up into the to the next level, they were a bit reluctant and then his, his development stunted a bit and uh, it's a case of what might have been. If you look at your career at uh, Sports Interactive, you've been there for eight years this year. So mm. you must have seen massive growth at the company and the game just get bigger and bigger every year. Where, how big, I mean, it's big already within the, the fans that you've got and the amount of players, but just how big can the game go and where are the kind of aspirations of the future and where, where you see Football Manager? So I think, as you said, it, it's grown massively in the time that I've been there. When I when I joined, I think, I, I, think I was number 78 on the, uh, on the full-time staff list. So... I think now we're over 140, so it's pretty much doubled in the time that um, the time that I've been there during this period. Actually, in, during the coronavirus lockdown, we've actually hired 16 members of staff, which is wow. a ridiculous number considering the size of the the company. It's just been, you know, a, a really uh, good time for us in terms of bringing new talent in, and and it's been difficult for those guys because they've not been able to go in the office and experience like the the sports interactive culture but um we've tried to like in, integrate them into zoom meetings and, and things like that it's been um it's been great to see so many so many new faces uh joining but yeah it's it, growth is definitely something that we're very good at as evidence over the last eight years i think in terms of the game where it goes uh, obviously you know online elements it's the thing that we we often get every year is oh, i wish the online modes were better and it's a bit of a catch-22 because we always say okay but we added in you know a load of new features we added in fantasy draft a few years ago we made the online career mode a lot a lot smoother um, a lot more like playing the actual you know single player version but people just didn't seem to take to it and i think i think football manager is one of those games that it's still best enjoyed as a single player experience because you don't have to wait around for for whoever you're playing with on on an online game to make their changes or get a transfer over the line or or whatever they're doing. You can just sort of try and power through the season and and there's no external. You don't get 
you know, your mate trying to rob your players from you. You don't get your, your mate trying to stir up trouble by declaring an interest in your star striker. So um, that always helps. But yeah, I think naturally as we become, you know, an even more connected world than we, we are already, I think there's going to be some demand for FM to be more online friendly. I, one of the best things about FM is that we're lucky in the sense that football does a lot of what we need in terms of creating you know, new rules. We had VAR a few years ago. We added into the game goal line tech as well. So there'll always be new technologies and new initiatives that, that will be added into the game. And yeah, as I said, three years of feature requests already in the bank. And we'll probably get, if, if, if not a thousand more this year, we'll probably get close to a thousand. So we're constantly getting you know new sources of inspiration and and improvement so um so i think it's just going to be more and more evolution in terms of the core game mechanics we've seen in the last few years the tactical system got a massive overhaul training got a massive overhaul so two of the core fundamental areas of the game that have you know been part and parcel of football manager for for 20 years have have just been you know completely overhauled and given a new new lease of life so yeah, we're we're constantly striving to be to be better and to to make a a more realistic management simulation. So I'll expect more evolution to those to those key areas and and as I said, some some improvements to online as we get a few years down the line and potentially technology gets even more seamless when you're when you're trying to play an online game. Yeah, I can't wait to see where Football Manager goes. I mean, it's already one of the best game experiences in my opinion you can have. So. It'd be great to see where it goes in the future. I mean, I could I could sit here for hours and talk with you, Tom, about it because it's it's one of my big big passions. But thanks so much for coming on, Tom. It's been amazing talking to you about the football manager, and uh, we can see how passionate you are. And it, it's great that someone who works for the company is still so passionate about the game, and he's actually a fan themselves. Um, so it's good to to hear that come through in how you speak about the game. Yeah, I'll always be a fan. I mean, I I played it. I think I started playing it. Well, back when it was Championship Manager, I played it when I was six. My brothers got me into it. Yeah, even before I joined eight years ago, I've been playing it um, for the best part of 15 years. And, and you know, I, I was part of me was worried when I joined that I would lose the, the fan element of the game just by, you know, being it as part of the studio, seeing it develop uh, each year. Um, but every single year, when as soon as the beta comes out, I'm there like everyone else. Just I, I sort of plan my save weeks ahead, work out you know who i'm going to be who which players i'm going to sign what my tactics going to be uh, i plan it out exactly as if i was you know not working there and it's uh it's been i mean even during the last couple of months it's been you know a real source of entertainment for me and uh yeah if i didn't if i didn't have it in my life it would be uh, my life would be a lot poorer place for it not just because <laughs> i wouldn't necessarily have a job <laughs> not not um in the last few years but i remember when i was at school age uh we all used to compete for hours played you know that game status that yeah like, you need, <laughs> like need need a new what what was some of the statuses what was there the... was one that was like one of my favorites was uh you need to call your family and ask them more sickly <laughs> and there was yeah. uh you need a new pair of underwear yeah, some of them. I mean, I think I think the if you get up to like a month of play, I think that's when it just starts to get into into the realms of ridiculous. I think uh, it's what I think the last one's been like. Oh, you need a new life or something like that. But um, but yeah, no, that that was me. Me and one of my uh, one of my best friends from school. We used to 
we used to spend ages in lessons, like just swapping notes on on players we'd seen and like writing out our, our team sheet on a on a exercise book, just being like, you know, the the squad depth list with like first choice, second choice, and third choice. And then we'd be trying to advise each other on who to sign. Yeah. I mean, it does it does take over your life, but it's a it's a it's a great way to um to spend your time and to see I, I think as I said at the start, the experience you get of seeing things come to life in front of you, you just don't get from another game. And uh, it's why I love it. Yeah. And um, I, I remember like we used to compete about who could get the most hours. And I'm sure they used to leave their laptop on overnight and just leave it <laughs> running. Cause I always used, I always used to have the lowest, but I'm just looking now on steam just cause I was interested. Sorry, Tom, I, I, I was going to say bye then, but I'm not letting you go yet. Uh, <laughs> so this year so far, um, 2020 i've played 706 hours um wow i don't want to work that out into days because that that'll just because <laughs> that'll just put it into perspective <laughs> a bit but uh so that's i only played only played football manager 2019 106 hours so i'm nearly at a full year level and it's not it's not even like september yet just looking <laughs> on yeah so 2016 was 1,162 hours. That's a lot. That's bad. a long time. That's my. I think that's my best. Go on, Tom. Embarrass me if you can. If you've okay. got yours up, let me just call this up because I think I sorted it by hours played, and it was, yeah, it was, it was quite scary. So <laughs> my my highest was uh, FM 14, which was 1,633. Yeah, that was a long time. But I, I still go back to that stadium now and again because that was the one with my son. And, yeah, even now, I had the stadium named after me. It was, uh, what a save. Um, so then I had... count you working on the game or is that solely playtime? Uh, mainly playtime. There's a little bit where we have to do... <laughs> We have to do testing and things like that, but I'll, I'll jump on. But yeah, it's it's pretty much like, you know, in the evenings, just hammering it. So next I had 1,361 for FM13. You can see like uh, 12, 13, and 14 of the top three just because I had so much more time on my hands. Yeah. Uh, 1,238 for FM12. And then last year I got to... 1003 so um that was that was pretty good i think i had a few saves last year but we're, we're quite good and then currently on fm20 i'm up to 765 but i reckon by the time we get into july that'll be um that'll be if not above 1000 it'll be close to 1000 well you you've uh you blow me out of the water there with <laughs> I'm definitely so what was it 1600 what your your for- maximum 1633 i mean i do i do work on the game so i do have to play it um but yeah that was definitely a lot more time on my hands back then than i do now i'm just doing a quick calculation (laughs) uh so 1633 divided by 24 so that's 68 days so that's yeah that's uh that's two months two two and a quarter months Something like that. The, the things I could have done, I could have learned a new language, I could have learned a new skill, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. But you wouldn't, wouldn't have had the, it. you wouldn't have had the emotional connection or the the self fulfillment that you will have. Absolutely, playing like a new gen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can still remember, like my, I can pretty much tell you about every single player in my like best ever starting eleven of that save because I, I gave them all backstories and. Ah, oh, I'm, I'm tempted to go and fire it up after this. 
<laughs> I remember I my one of my favourite ever players was a player called Eduardo Rotinho, a right back, a Brazilian right back, and one of the younger. It just always stuck in my head as just a constant world class performer, uh, like a Danny Alves before his time. I suppose you could, <laughs> you could say that, but uh, it's one of them games that I don't think I'll ever get bored with, and I'll, I'll definitely buy it every year because it's you know I, w- I won't be able to not buy it. Let's just put it that way. But it's been a pleasure having you on, Tom, and to talk about it and to find someone who's as passionate about it as everyone out there, really. Uh, it's it's so nice to hear the passion come through. So thanks so much for, for spending all this time with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone at Sports Interactive keeps well and I hope you, you and your family keep well as well. And uh, let's hope we can get football back and uh, we can have a, a semi-normal football manager say in, in 2021. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And same to you guys with you, you and your families. Hope everyone's safe. And yeah, I mean, I watched the Bundesliga all weekend, but it's I'll tell you what, it's not a patch on having fans in the stadium and actually going to a game yourself so hopefully we can um, we can get back to some form of normality sooner rather than later definitely definitely thanks again Tom appreciate it Thank you for listening to the Level Up podcast and esports and gaming show make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Level Up Pod we'll be back for another episode very soon <laughs>